From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Let's get into the Word. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Galatians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start at verse uh, 4 today. And my question that we're asking over the next couple of weeks is, who needs Christmas? Who needs Christmas? My son says to me a few weeks ago, we have Christmas music playing in our house all the time, and he says to me, Dad, what do you think is the most wonderful time of the year? As if I didn't just hear Alexa playing, it's the most wonderful time of the year in the background. And I said, well, I don't know, buddy. I think maybe, is it Christmas? Could it be Christmas? And he goes, wow, you're correct. It is Christmas. But who needs Christmas? Is it the most wonderful time of the year? Does anybody really need Christmas? And I'm not talking about the decor and the lights and the festiveness. I'm talking about the meaning. It turns out we all need Christmas. We need Christmas. Last week, Pastor Mitch shared how the world did, that everything in human history and biblical history ultimately culminated in the birth of Jesus, God incarnate, the the eternally existent one coming, cutting the fabric of spiritual and physical divide and entering human history, um, God in the flesh coming. If you look past all the festiveness and the lights and the decoration, that is what Christmas is about. And it's so easy to get caught up in the in the the holiday spirit that we miss the meaning. Uh, my last yesterday we had the Christmas dinner here. It was a great dinner, um, really good food if you were a part of it. And my my wife Jody and the kids they left because I, I needed to stick around for the second one. And so they left and they drove around just running and we're looking at the different Christmas lights that were up. And our youngest son looks at or says in the back of our van he says mommy. He's like, we need to set up something on our lawn about Jesus because there's, there's nothing about Jesus on people's lawns. And we need to set up something about Jesus. And we just, we were like, we were just like filled with joy because he was thinking about that. But that's the meaning of Christmas. It's not the lights. It's not the Christmas trees. It's, it's not the, the elf on the shelf. It's, it's not that. It's, it's Jesus. And, and who needs Christmas? Well, as it turns out, everyone does. And I want to pause it today that God needed Christmas. Now, before I lose you, and before you take a sound bite out of this, stick with me, because hopefully I can take you through a journey through Galatians chapter 4. This is not your typical Christmas text, but as you read and as we read, you'll find out that it is. So Galatians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 4 and 5. It says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. So Father God, we just thank you again for today, and we thank you that we have opportunity to look at your word. Bless us, Lord, with truth this morning. I pray that as I open my mouth and we open our ears, that you would speak ultimately to all of us, and that we'd be reminded of what Christmas is all about. We would be reminded of the sacrifice you made Lord, and we would tune ourselves this holiday season, regardless of what it looks like for us, to what you did, God, and what you accomplished through coming. In the name of Jesus, amen. So here's the question, why? Why did God have to send somebody? Why did God have to send his son? 
Why did he have to cram himself into a body and come? Why? When the set time had fully come, why not just send another messenger? Why not just send another prophet? When the set time had fully come, God sent his son born, born of a woman, born under the law. This is God in body form, incarnate, incarnate, meaning in the flesh. Why? He doesn't just step onto the pages of human history and says, it's all different now that I'm here. He comes into the form of a body under the law, accountable to the law, God the everlasting, eternally existent, the great divine being, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the complexities of life from the greatest star in the sky to the smallest of Adam in our hands. Why did he have to come? Well, it says this, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, too. And I kind of got focused on that, too, a little bit. In order that, there was a reason that God came. There was a purpose that God came. There's a reason he didn't just send another messenger. You know, I think for whatever reason, some people are, are fine with just having this knowledge of Jesus and this knowledge of God, and they go on with life. They have this this knowing, even at Christmas time, they hear it in carols all the time, they have this knowing that, that Jesus is the Son of God, but that ultimately should beg the question, why? If, why did God come? Why, why was, we, do we sing songs about a baby being born? Why? There's a reason behind it to do what laws and regulations could not to do what judges and prophets could not, to do what exile and punishment could not, could do what um, sacred texts could not do. God was ready to do something personal. And so he wanted to do something relational. God wanted to do something personally for you, and a messenger wouldn't get it done. And a message and a miracle wouldn't get it done. God wanted to do something personal, so God wanted to do something relational, so God needed Christmas. Now let me just stop here for a second before you say, whoa, 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 pastor. God need anything? He's God, right? His very name reveals the fact that in himself he is all-sufficient. His name implies that he is all-knowing, that he has infinite knowledge. There's nothing that God does not know that he's all-powerful, right? That he has infinite ability. When you look at the creation story, it says that God spoke and life existed. Life began from the word of God. He has all power. He is everywhere present at all times. There's nowhere you can go that you can escape God's presence. And he's not just with you where you are, he's also with me where I am, and he's with you where you are, and he's with you where you are. And while we're in this house, for those of you that are in house and we're worshiping in the presence of God, he's with you online where you are in your home, in your PJs, with your pancakes and your coffee. He is everywhere. God doesn't need anything. He is the supreme being. And there's nothing that you have that God requires, that need, needs from you. You are small. You are insignificant. You are finite. I know that sounds like a really nice thing to say at Christmas. But you have nothing and can give nothing and can do nothing that God needs. He doesn't need your worship. 
He doesn't need your praise. The Bible says that the rocks will cry out. And I actually did some study this week. If you look into the science behind it, rocks are already crying out. Look into it. Or you can ask me, I'll send you a quick article. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your spare change. He gave you your money. You have your money because God graced you with it. He doesn't need your time. He created time. It's his design. He exists outside of time, which even when I say that just boggles my mind. And yes, I just said boggles. It boggles my mind. I'm flabbergasted by that. God does not need anything. So why would we posit that God needed Christmas? Because God wanted to do something personal. And so God was going to step and do something relational. And therefore, God needed Christmas for when the set time had fully come. Had fully come. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God wanted to move individual people into a personal relationship with himself, and so Christ came personally, relationally, in human form, removing all the barriers and boundaries that restricted access. In order for God to do something personal, he needed to come as a person. How would we know where we stood with God unless he stood with us? How would we know where we stand? There's some people who have this belief that God is this impersonal force, the intelligent designer, the creator, someone that we, or something that we cannot attain to or reach or communicate with. He is distant. We can't interact with it, and it can't interact with us. They're called agnostics. But how would we know where we stood with God unless he came and stood with us? A message wouldn't get it done. Another prophet wouldn't get it done. A miracle wouldn't get it done. But something personal would. And that's Christmas. So just at, right, at the right time, when the set time had fully come, God staged a demonstration. We all know that actions speak louder than words. Right? Talk is cheap. Words don't mean much. This needed to be a demonstration that could be documented so that for hundreds and thousands of years, people would know about it. Pastor Mitch shared a little bit about this this past week. 4,000 years ago, God spoke to a man named Abraham, and he said, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless the nations through you. And then 2,000 years, think about how long 2,000 years is. We can throw numbers like that around in church, but we don't really think about how long 2,000 years is. When I think about the fact that my son is seven now, I'm like, wow, he's seven years old. 2,000 years later from Abraham, Jesus was born. And 2,000 years after Jesus was born and lived and died and rose and ascended into heaven, we're still talking about it. We're still talking about it. Think about all that's happened in the last 2,000 years of history. Much of it we know little about. We don't know the details and we don't know the names. Maybe the past 400, maybe glimpses here and there. But we don't know much of the history that's happened because it wasn't written or recorded and so it just went away. But the birth of a Jewish baby under the Roman Empire in the lowest place, we're talking about that? That would become infamous for millennium? Thousands and millions and billions of people would embrace that Jewish baby. 
call themselves followers of Jesus, when the set time had fully come, he sent his son, born of a woman, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive sonship. God wanted to do something personal, so he needed to do something relational, so he came personally. It had to be a demonstration that could be documented, so we would still be talking about it. Paul the Apostle wrote to the church in Rome, you know, much of the New Testament that we have are actually letters written to different people and churches, and so he's writing in the book of Romans to the church in Rome, to Christians in Rome, and he says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So within just a few short years of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, hundreds of people in Rome had embraced Jesus, had embraced this man. And Paul is writing to, to them, and he says, God demonstrates his own love for us. This is what the prophets in the Old Testament pointed to. This is what the stories that we read about in all of the Old Testament talked about and foreshadowed. But in Jesus, this is what God demonstrated to the world while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, you need to think about Paul writing this. I wonder if something dawned on Paul as he's writing this letter to the Christians in Rome. Paul was a persecutor of the church, which means that he hated Christians, and he hated Christianity, and he made it his mission to pursue them, to arrest them, to jail them, and to kill them. And God grabbed a hold of his heart and radically changed him. So the once man that the, the church cowered because of his name became one of its greatest evangelists, apostles, and preachers to ever been known. And he writes this, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So he's saying, while I was still resisting God, while I was still pursuing the church and jailing them and killing them, Christ died for me. Before I even knew that Christ died for me, Christ died for me. Before I even knew that he had come for me, he had died for me. Like, think about that. When Jesus died on the cross, he had you in his mind. And Paul, he had to have been thinking that God knew I was going to be like this. He knew that I was going to be educated in such a way that I could have zeal in, in, in my Jewish education and, and be, come against the church and come against Christianity like this. He knew I was going to be like this, and he still died for me. God knew what, you, what sin you would, you would desire about. He knew what temptations you would have and give into. He knew what kind of things you'd fall into. He knew that, and Christ died for you. Andy Stanley said this. He said, Jesus demonstrated he was for us before we had opportunity to decide we were for him. Jesus showed that he was for you before you even knew about him. So that begs the next big question. That's why he came, but it's confusing enough. Why in the world did he have to die? It's something I often ask myself because I feel like the padded answer isn't good enough. And I think sometimes Christians can't articulate this enough. So when someone asks, well, why did he have to die? Why couldn't Jesus just come and say everyone's forgiven? 
Right? He's God. Why couldn't he just say, hey, me and the Father, we talked, and he sent me, and I'm here to tell you all that all is right now. You're all forgiven. Every single one of you, all is good. Why did he have to die? Why the blood and why the gore and why the crucifixion? I'll tell you why, because nobody would believe him. Nobody would believe someone who came and just claimed that he could forgive all sins of all time. In fact, when Jesus walked this planet, he did that a couple times. There's a couple times where Jesus would heal somebody and he would say, your sins are forgiven. And the religious people, the churched people, they would freak out. You can't do that. You're not God. Right? You, you, see, you can forgive someone when they wrong you, but to forgive everybody of all sins of all time, only God can do that. No one would believe him if he came and said, all is forgiven. And more importantly than that, Jesus came in a body to, to walk among us, to die such a violent death, to be documented to such a degree, because God is the author of life. Now, let me walk you through that. God is the author of life. We're still trying to figure life out, right? We're, we have science and, and research that's trying to determine how the mind works and how the body works and how it functions, and much of what we know is from the past 50 to 100 years, maybe a little bit more. So for thousands of years, people don't know much about life, how it happens, how it works. But God is the author of life. God is the author of life. And when you dishonor the source of life, you dishonor the author of life. Someone said this, to dishonor the source of life is an expression of ingratitude deserving the forfeiture of life. In other words, we owe our lives to God because of our disregard for God. Because of our disregard for the author of life, we have forfeited our right to life. We say, well, well how, how have I done that? How, how have I disregarded God? When you resist him. I don't resist him. How do I resist God? Well, we resist God when we look at our lives and we determine that it's my life, I can do what I want, and I'm going to do what I want when I want to. We shake our fist. The Bible has another word for that. It's called sin. When we choose to live a way that is against the way that God calls us to live. We take our life, what we believe to be ours, and we say, I'll do what I want, and so we owe a debt to God that we cannot pay. But God demonstrates his great love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We deserve to give God our lives because we've shown such disregard for life. But the giver of life has come to give his life for us. That is why he had to die. Because you owe a debt and I owe a debt that we cannot pay. The only way to pay it is with life itself. And so God comes and he says, I'll pay. The author of life comes and says, I'll pay. That's the message of Christmas. So in Acts chapter 3, Jesus had died, he had rose again, he ascended into heaven, he had said to his followers, wait, wait in Jerusalem I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. It fills the believers. They're baptized in the Spirit, and they, they have power and ability to be bold witnesses for God. And then while in Jerusalem, they're looking at the very people that crucified Jesus, and they say this 
in Acts chapter 3, verse 14. You disowned the holy and righteous one, talking about Jesus, and asked that a murderer be released to you. So when Jesus was arrested and beaten, he was standing before Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate brought out a guy named Barabbas who was a murderer, and he said, which one do you want? I'll release one to you, and they chose the murderer. He says, you chose a murderer to be released to you. And they said this in verse 15, you killed the author of life. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. So God sent his son to come as a baby, killable, vulnerable, to be among us, to walk among us, to do something personal so that he could give his life for your life. Your disregard for life forfeited your right to life, and so he came to give his life so that you may have life. Saying that your sins are forgiven wouldn't have worked. But dying in our place does. So Jesus demonstrated the magnitude of our ingratitude and the magnitude of his love for us. Invite Matt, would you come? Jesus demonstrated the magnitude of our ingratitude and the magnitude of his great love for us. So here's some application for you. Love cannot, you cannot demonstrate love without sacrifice. For love to be known, it must be shown. We know this. I love you, I love you. Well, show me. His words can be fleeting. So how does God, who claims to love the world, who claims to create you in his image, demonstrate his love for you? The only way only way is to make a sacrifice that would be documented, a demonstration that would be documented to such a degree that 2,000 years later you're still talking about it. Paul, when he's talking to the church in Romans, before he says that statement, he says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died. That is the message of Christmas. God needed Christmas to demonstrate his great love for us. He doesn't need anything, but he wanted to do something personal, and he wanted to do something relational, and so he came as a person to take your place on the cross. The Christmas message is the Easter message thinking about this this morning, that when you're looking at the, the Christmas tree and you're looking at the lights and you're looking at the elves on the shelves and, and you're seeing all that and you got the Christmas tunes playing and you're watching the Christmas classic movies and you see all that, remember why. That exists. The world celebrates this because 2,000 years ago Jesus came. You wouldn't have a Christmas tree in your room, in your house. It wasn't for this. Now, I'm not celebrating that stuff. I like that stuff. That's nice. Whatever. But may that remind you not just of the festiveness of the holiday, but that 2,000 years ago, the author of life came because of your disregard for life to give you life and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what? So that we could be adopted as sons and daughters to the family of God. Family of God. When the set time had fully come, 
when no one was looking, God goes to a young girl, sends an angel to a young girl named Mary, and he says, Mary, you found favor with God, and you're going to conceive and give birth to a baby, and you're going to call him Jesus. And that same angel goes to Joseph, her fiance, and says, hey, don't divorce her. She hasn't been sleeping around. It's God. He's coming. And you're to give him the name Jesus, and he's going to save people from their sins. And the Bible says, Matthew chapter 1, first chapter of Matthew, verse 23, that all of this took place to fulfill what God said through the prophets, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I think more than any time of the year, in any year whatsoever, we need this message in 2020. That God came to be with us. That when Christmas doesn't look the same because of what's happening in our world and it doesn't feel the same, and this just this, this year has been a, a meme to remember, God is with us. He came. You know that 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, he knew 2020 would happen. He knew the choices we would make. He, would, he knew the choices the government would make. He knew the choices the world would make. But God showed this great love for us that we will still sin as Christ died for us. Why? Why did he come? Why did he die? Because of you. So I thought, what better way to end today than with communion? What better way to remember and reflect and respond than to remember the sacrifice that Jesus Communion was another demonstration that Jesus left us as a way to continually remember, to pause and take a moment and remember what the author of life did 2,000 years ago. His life for us. So I'm going to invite you to grab your emblems there. And there's a little clear film right on the top, right above the purple there. If you pull that back, it will release the wafer. Jesus is sitting with his disciples before you be crucified. And he said, took some bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body that's given for you. This is my life for your life. So today, 2,000 years later, we're still practicing this. When we take this wafer, believers, we're proclaiming his death until he returns. But here, before we take together, here's what the Bible also says. To not do this in an unworthy manner. Because if we do this in an unworthy manner, we're guilty of the blood of Jesus. So what do we do? I want us to pause. And I want us to, to examine ourselves and see, is there any sin in me? Is there any, anything unrepentant, anything unconfessed that's, that's, that's in me that I need to bring before the Lord? And just make it right with God right now. This is an opportunity to make it right with God. Would you bow your heads, if you're in the house, if you're online, bow your heads and just pause. Bring that before him. Now's the time to make it right. He gave his life for your sin. He gave his life for your sin. Whatever it is, Father, I bring this before you. I confess I'm fill in the blank. Forgive me. 
Lord, would you forgive us of the sin that is in our lives? Make known to us, God, the sin that is in us that we might repent and turn and renew a right spirit that is in us in Jesus' name. Jesus, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Would you take and eat? Let's remember together. Lord. Thank you, God. Then he took the cup, said, this is my blood that is shed, the new covenant, the new covenant of grace. You grab that one tab and you pull back, the harder tab you pull back, it'll pull back the purple and it'll give you access to the juice there. So my son just thought of this in the first service. My son was on our street playing with some neighborhood kids. They can be distant. We got lots of kids on our street and it's a quiet street so they're like literally in the middle of the street drawing uh, with chalk and playing. And my one son says, Jesus made you. You know, Jesus created you. And then the other kid says, no, he didn't. Blood. I made of blood. And then an argument happened between these like five-year-old kids. No, Jesus. That is not the way to be a witness. No, Jesus, Jesus created, Jesus made you. Jesus made you, no blood. No, Jesus, no blood. And then my older son looks at them and he says, well, guys, you're kind of both right. God created you, but he put blood in you. You, you're, you got blood inside you. And Jesus shed his blood because the life force is in the blood. When you have no more blood in your body, you are dead. But Jesus shed his blood. He gave his blood, his life for your life. And so we take this and we remember together that he gave his life while we were still sinners. Let's take and remember together. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice and we proclaim your death. Lord, we proclaim your death right now in the name of Jesus, that you came in body form to live among us, to do something personal, to draw us in personal relationship, Lord, and you died to pay our debt. We owe you our lives and you paid our debt. And so we remember today and we remember that Christmas, even in 2020, is not about the flashiness, it's about Jesus, the meaning, true meaning of Christmas. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. We bless you. And I pray that every person, God, in the sound of my voice, God, would recognize what you did, the sacrifice you made, or that you wanted to do something personal. So you came at Christmas time as a person to give your life for our lives. Jesus' name, we bless you. And I pray you bless every person here in the name of Jesus and every person online, every person tuning in today. God, bless this Christmas as only you can in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's my ask of you. Love must be shown to be known. God demonstrated his great love for us by coming and sacrificing. Would you this Christmas do the same? Would you make a sacrifice would you show love? Don't just say love. Don't just tell love. 
Don't just say you love someone or say you love the community or say you love the church. Demonstrate your love this Christmas because that is a reflection of the Savior working in you. You want to be more like Jesus? Then you demonstrate your love. Amen? Hey, God bless you, Parkway Church. If you're online, God bless you. We're glad that you're here. I love you, and we'll see you next time. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.